Welcome to the Pooch Parenting Podcast, a podcast for parents with dogs. I'm Michelle Stern, a certified professional dog trainer, mom, and former teacher. Living with kids and dogs at the same time can feel like a circus. I know because I lived it too. Join us as we interview a variety of experts and parents to discuss topics that will make parenting with dogs easier, safer, and less chaotic. Also, you can love living with your dog again. I'll always keep it real, which might even mean that you hear the messiness of life in the background on occasion, but at least you know you're not alone. In this episode of the Pooch Parenting Podcast, I am going to talk about a wonderful shift that's taking place in the dog training and behavior industry. It's called Family Dog Mediation, and I learned all about it from Kim Brophy, one of my colleagues and an applied ethologist. Her revolutionary legs model, which I will describe later, introduces us to the basic foundational system of elements that direct the behavior of every single animal on earth, including us, of course, and explains what it means for our family dogs. This episode will dive into this approach of working with families living with kids and dogs at the same time, and will offer some perspectives on how we can open our eyes to the variety of contributing factors to the behavior and feelings of each member of the household, dog included. I hope you enjoy. You love your dog. Of course you do. But if you're being honest, sometimes they can be difficult to live with. Maybe they bark too much, they're too clingy, they growl at your toddler, or maybe they hate being separated from all of their family members, even for just a few minutes. And let's face it, the stakes are high when you're raising kids and dogs together. You can't wait until something dangerous happens before you seek help. You need support as soon as you see even a single red flag. Now, historically, we would go to a typical dog trainer and try to fix that behavior and maybe train that annoying behavior away. However, I want to be totally honest with you because that's what you can expect from me and say that sometimes training isn't actually all that it's cut out to be. Yes, you heard me right. I am a dog trainer and I'm telling you the training is not always the answer. So what is the answer? Now, before you can resolve any of the challenging issues you might be facing with your dog, you need to understand all of the contributing factors to their behavior. It goes deeper than that, actually. We need to consider the contributing factors to your behavior, too. That's right. Since your dog does not live in a bubble, it's crucial that we evaluate the whole picture, especially how you and your family members interact with the dog. And that's where my specialized role as a licensed family dog mediator comes in. As a family dog mediator, we like to look at a variety of criteria so that we can piece together what your life is like with your dog, much the way that a chef thoughtfully assembles the ingredients to create their signature dish. Now you're probably wondering why in the heck I'm talking about food here, but I used to run a cooking school for kids. It was something that I founded from scratch. And so I love food and because of my past culinary experience with kids, I like to use a lot of food analogies. It seems to be a language that most people can understand. So whether or not you actually like to cook, we all do have to eat. And I want to be sure that I'm not alienating anyone when we're learning about these new concepts. So what I'm going to do here is I'm going to lump together some reasons 
for all of the ways that we and our dogs behave. And I'm going to compare those to a chef creating a beautiful meal. So I hope that makes sense. I'm going to talk about you and I'm going to talk about your kids and your dog, but I'm also going to talk about a chef who is cooking something that's amazing, okay, as, a, as an example for how this all goes down. Now, before a chef becomes a qualified professional, they have to learn. Learning is the first part of this. They learn by doing, by studying, working with a mentor or several. They may read, go to school, and they're likely to have gotten yelled at by a lot of angry bosses along the way. I don't know if you've seen any cooking shows on TV, but sometimes people in kitchens have quite the temper. This learning history influences the choices they make, how they feel, and how they perform under stress and amidst distractions. Now, we and our dogs operate much the same. We might have had amazing opportunities to learn in a safe, structured environment, or maybe due to some life circumstances, we were unable to complete school. Maybe we were praised heavily for our hard work, or maybe we were wrapped with a ruler for making mistakes, and that might contribute to us being nervous to try anything new. Punishments can cause us to be fearful of the classroom or teachers wearing a certain type of clothing. Associative learning is a powerful thing for all species. Now, imagine a parent raising kids and dogs together, which can feel like sheer chaos. I know because I do it, and that's the type of clients that I see. Now, consider that this parent might have been bitten in the face by a friend's dog as a child. This is something that happened to me. This personal experience has likely, likely colored her learning history and might even impact how she feels about dogs when she raises her own family. So it might result in her being extra careful and proactive, ensuring that nothing unsafe can happen between their family dog and her own kids or their friends. Or maybe she lives in constant anxiety that something unexpected will happen with her dog. Or maybe a dog in a home where her kids visit for playdates, which is where I was bitten. That level of anxiety or fear might cause her to behave differently as a parent from a different parent who never had a scary experience before. And sometimes each spouse in a family has very different backgrounds with dogs, or maybe they've never had dogs before at all. Now, kids, of course, also can have both positive and negative learning experiences. Some kids love dogs, but maybe they treat their own dog at home in a certain way, but that way of behaving could get them into serious trouble with another dog. That's partly probably what happened to me when I was young and gotten bitten. But sadly, Many kids who experience a dog bite or who are frightened when a dog lunges at them, for example, could develop a fear of dogs that lasts an entire lifetime. Our dogs also have varied learning histories. Maybe they were raised by an amazing breeder who taught them that the world was safe and that kids are gentle and kind. Or maybe your dog was found on the street after being seen tormented by a group of kids. Each of these dogs might be likely to display different behavior in a busy, noisy family home. Now we're going to go back to our friend, the chef here. Our friend, the chef, might have a learning history that colors their life as well. So maybe one boss reprimanded them so, so much that they're now startled more than ever by the sound of a pot hitting the floor or an object being hurled through the air. My husband worked in restaurants when he was younger, and he told me how often things got thrown in the kitchen, which was pretty scary. 
Some chefs even leave the industry after being treated poorly, but our family dogs don't usually have the option to opt out. They rely on us for everything, when they eat, when they potty, where they're allowed to move even. So as a family dog mediator, I often help parents navigate the best course of action to take moving forward. Because at the end of the day, everyone in the family, including the dog, deserves to feel safe in their own home. At the start of this episode, I mentioned the word legs. And so I'm going to move on from the L, which was the learning portion of the influences on behavior. And I'm going to move on to some of the environmental influences that make an impact on how we all behave and feel. Now, the environment in which we all grow up and experience significant life events is hugely influential in our behavior. So let's go back to the chef. This might influence the type of equipment that they have access to or other resources that they can access. But it might also include the actual environment in which their ingredients are grown. Are they in season? Are they grown with chemical fertilizers, which may impact their nutritional value? Were they grown in another country and then transported here where they might lose flavor and freshness along the way? So you can see how the environment is a contributing factor in this example. Now, your home environment plays a huge part as well when you're raising kids and dogs together. So if your environment is peaceful and run with intention, then every individual who lives there may feel more confident and calm. They know what to expect, what the guidelines are for different behaviors in different circumstances. And sure, of course, we all push the boundaries, but we know there will ultimately be structure in place to keep us safe and where we can get support. But if the environment is chaotic with very little structure, then every individual in the family, including the dog, may behave erratically looking for consequences, attention, or some type of physical or emotional feedback to feel regulated. So I had a client recently who has a young baby. She works full-time as a middle school teacher, 45 minutes away from home. She has three dogs, one of whom is getting into dangerous fights with one of the others. And her spouse often travels for work. She has so little time in her schedule that her dogs hardly get walked. And she doesn't feel that she has the bandwidth even to wash the dishes or Kongs for her dogs. So she feels that in her juggle, everyone is suffering. Her experience is like that of a chef whose colleagues report sick, the ingredients fail to be delivered. And so, of course, without the raw ingredients or support, neither one can be successful. And I have so much empathy for people who feel that their cup is empty. Now, moving on from the E part of the legs equation, we're going to move into genetics. Now, this is something that I get real excited about because I used to teach high school biology and genetics was one of my favorite topics to teach about. Very few people consider the fact that most dogs have been bred for hundreds of years to do a specific job and they're ill-equipped to be kept inside of a traditional home. So it's not difficult to imagine the potential fallout of putting a bull in a china shop, for example. And that's how many herding dogs feel inside a city apartment. That's just one example. We often pick on herding breeds because they're so easy to pick on. We do love them, though. They might chase the kids because they don't have the opportunity to chase sheep or control where the livestock goes. Guardian dogs, another example, may bark at their neighbors and they might object to visitors. 
And that's actually what they were literally bred to do. Unfortunately, we often see this as, quote, bad behavior that needs to be fixed. But in reality, of course, it's normal. It's just that their circumstances are not normal. So many times parents come to me and they feel so frustrated about their dogs that are chasing and nipping the kids or they're barking and lunging at visitors, including, by the way, little teeny adorable kids who come over for playdates or birthday parties. Uh, So that obviously doesn't go down well. And they can be frustrated when their dog growls, when kids approach their bed, or when they pick up the dog's toys. Unfortunately, though, these behaviors are actually really natural dog behaviors, but they scare parents, as they should. I mean, it seems really scary and perhaps dangerous. So a lot of parents say, I can't have this behavior and I need to stop this behavior. But it's not entirely ethical to stop a behavior that is entirely natural. But what we do need to do is really dig deep and get curious and see if we can come up with some appropriate outlets to the dogs so that they can express those behaviors that have been bred into them for so long. Now, the genetics of people are crucial as well. So for example, are you prone to illness, anxiety or depression, cancer, substance abuse, What about our kids or your client's kids? Surely these impact behavior as well. And again, we'll go back to our friend, the chef. They need to consider genetics as well. So should they pick, for example, a heritage bred turkey or maybe a more common variety? The recipe is likely going to need to vary based on that anchor ingredient because the genetics of the ingredients impact the flavor of the meal. One of my dogs, Pippin, has separation anxiety, and we've made huge progress over the years after working with two different certified separation anxiety trainers, but he does still have quite a decent amount of underlying anxiety when I go out. And it's even worse, strangely, when my husband is home than when Pippin is home all by himself. That has to do with hyperattachment, and we use a camera to watch his behavior so we can keep an eye on him and make sure that he doesn't get too distressed. But in my research and in talking to my good friend, Milena Martini, who is the world's leading expert in separation anxiety, um, we have learned that separation anxiety often could, or most likely, has a genetic component, and the influence of living with a dog that has separation anxiety impacts every single member of our family. It impacts us from logistical perspective. So for example, who can go where, when, how long can we be gone? Do we have to bring him with us? So it can be pretty difficult, but it also impacts us emotionally because to be honest, sometimes I feel like I have a ball and chain. When I work with clients who tell me that they can't even leave their puppy alone in the kitchen so they can use the toilet or load the laundry machine, they feel like they're doing something wrong. And I don't know if you've experienced this, I certainly have, that parenting already comes with tons of self-doubt. And when our dog comes preloaded with a panic disorder that prevents us from even having a minute alone, it can make us question why we got the dog in the first place. So without understanding that the dog's emotional state has a monumental impact on all family members, we will be unable to help the entire family unit to make progress and feel relief. 
So now we'll move on to the final letter of the legs model. And that is the S, which stands for self. But the way that I like to think about that one is the individual, right? So the individual themselves. Now, just because you choose a golden retriever because they're supposed to be good family dogs doesn't mean that your particular golden retriever will love your children. And that is a tough pill to swallow. I've seen clients who are often in a situation like this where they are totally dismayed and disappointed and shocked that their golden retriever may have a health problem or it may not like their kids. And this kind of thing can really come as a surprise to some people. But every dog is an individual. And so just like your dog might have unique characteristics, you might also, and so might your child. So let's think about our kids. Who is the child in front of you? Do they hate the feel of a wiry terrier coat? Or maybe they're sound sensitive and can't tolerate the high-pitched sound of their dog's barking. And who's the dog in front of you? Are they afraid of sudden changes in their environment? Do they love strangers to the point of knocking them over when they visit? Or maybe they have food allergies that might impact their stomach or their skin. When clients call upset because their dog dislikes one of their kids, that's not something that behavior professionals can necessarily fix. The dog has every right not to like everyone. I know that I don't like everyone. I wish I did, but I don't. And I'm assuming that you don't either. But we can prioritize management so that we can help the dog feel safe around that child and help that child feel safe around that dog. We can play training games to make the child less threatening to that dog. But at the end of the day, that individual dog gets to decide just like your kids get to decide who they like and who they don't like. Now, I mentioned physical issues. Let's say if your dog had food allergies, that might cause stomach pain. It might cause really itchy skin. But physical illness or pain is a huge contributor to how all individuals behave. I can speak from personal experience. I know that when I'm unwell, I'm not always as nice or as patient or as tolerant as I have been when I'm feeling super right? So we all behave differently. We can even grow and development, develop differently uh, based on our physical well-being and our emotional well-being as well, right? Now we'll go back to our chef again, of course. Uh, our chef might have wanted a delivery of rhubarb, let's say, for their special dessert that they want to make. But let's say a bacteria or fungus infected the entire crop of rhubarb, so they're out of luck. We need to be flexible, creative, and curious as parents, dog families, and even chefs. When we're unsure about the dynamics of our home, social structure, work environment, we need to ask questions. What might be causing the issue? Are these challenges to be expected? How can we manage them? How do we keep everyone physically and emotionally safe? What if things don't go as planned? At the end of the day, we can put together all of those legs, the learning, environment, genetics, and individual self, and put those pieces together to think about how to best support the parents in a household, the dog in a household, the children in a household, so that everybody can live together in harmony and feel both physically and emotionally safe. 
If you would like to learn more about family dog mediation, please visit familydogmediation.com or reach out to me directly. I will also put some links in the show notes for this episode on my website, and you can find that at poochparenting.net slash episode 71. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that it gave you some food for thought about how we can evaluate how we feel and behave and how our kids and dogs feel and behave. I really hope this episode was helpful to you. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Pooch Parenting Podcast. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe on your favorite podcast player and leave a review. But even better yet, tell a friend. Are you in some mom's groups perhaps? Or maybe you're friendly with your pediatrician. Please let them know that resources like this exist because the information that I share with my people goes beyond what most baby books offer. And a lot of parents need support. You'd be doing them a favor. Thanks again. Have a great day.